Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, if this is your first time watching here, my name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team, and grateful you decided to join us here. Um, I don't know if you're watching it on Sunday or whatever time or day you are watching this. Just thankful um, you've decided to join in. Uh, I, before I get into the content today, I do just want to, um, I said this last week, but just so you're aware, we are talking about sexuality uh, these next two weeks. And um, so if you've got kids around you right now, Maybe you want to press pause and watch this later or do something um, or somehow get them distracted. But just wanted to let you know that that's what we're talking about today. And also, if um, we're going to take communion at the end of this. And so if you can go grab some communion elements, whatever you have, whatever thing that could represent bread and whatever could represent some kind of juice, uh, we're going to take that at the end uh, together. Um, but in this stronger series, uh, what we are always looking at is some different angles of things that you know have a huge impact on our relationships. And so the tagline uh, for this series really is our quality of life will rise or fall based on the strength of our relationships. And when I think about some of the things that are, you know, either fracturing relationships or making them incredibly difficult. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind right now, honestly, is politics, because I've just seen how it's just like gone through so many families and fractured relationships, like all over the place. But, you know, the other conversation that's happening all the time right now is really around sexuality. And it's caused like a deep divide in between family members uh, within churches. Um, friends have like split up over it. And and so my goal here today is, uh, honestly, I, I, I just want to get us back to a good starting point in this conversation. Um, and I want to keep bringing it back to Jesus the whole time. So these two weeks, this is really what it's about. Um, it, it's about getting to a starting point because what we're doing right now in the church world does not work. Um, it's hurting so many people. It's crushing people. And, um, and so I, I want to get us back to the beginning here. And so you'll see me, I'm gonna look at my notes way more than the normal. Uh, and uh, because it, there's some things I wanna make sure I get out and I just don't wanna like start riffing like I normally do and say something I regret. But um, I just wanna get us back to the beginning because um, this is really a test for our community when we enter into a conversation like this. Like what kind of community do we really want to be? Or, or really, what kind of community are we? Are, are we a group that really wants to tackle these tough conversations in a way where we're staying curious about people's perspective, where we're really centered around loving one another, where uh, we come open-handed and with like absolute humility around this? Are we the kind of community uh, that will take a step back and see, whoa, hold on a second, what we're doing right now isn't working and how can we be a different kind of community that begins to approach this conversation? And, and so it's a test for us as a community. Um, it's a test for, um, honestly, how we engage one another in the midst of this. And so uh, here's just kind of my ask. Listen, I've put in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours uh, around this topic and reading so many books and listening to so many podcasts and so many conversations and been in prayer about these two weeks for several months now. And so um, give grace where we need to have grace. And I might not say everything perfectly, um, but I do want you to hear my heart in everything. And, um, 
and, and, and again, I, I want us to all be humble uh, in the midst of all this. And I also want to say this, like, I don't have all the answers, okay? I don't. I'm not going to answer every question or address every question. And, and there's a reality that I might say some things that uh, might not be far enough for you or some things that might be too lenient for you or some things that are too harsh for you. Um, my uh, hope, honestly, is that all of our toes get stepped on over the next two weeks in, in some capacity. Um, but in the midst of this, it's Again, driving into this heart, into this starting point of who we want to be um, as a community. You know, the, the reality when it comes to this topic of sexuality is every single person on the face of this earth, um, their sexuality is, is broken, there's some, or there's some brokenness in some capacity. And, um, and that's what makes sexuality so complicated when we begin to talk about it. When you hear that word, the first thing that might come to mind is, oh, he's just gonna talk about LGBTQIs, uh, you know, um, uh, that conversation. But really, sexuality is is bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. It's um, way more complicated than that. And the conversation should be way more holistic than that. And um, and so even when you think about sexuality, it, it does embody our attraction. And even when you do research and you read medical journals and medical studies and stuff like that, there's different perspectives on attraction and different levels of attraction and how that begins to work in, in each person. And so uh, within everyone watching today and everyone who will hear this live, uh, there are different levels of attraction to things. And that's just a reality, but that's part of our sexuality, not the wholeness of it. Conversations around gender, part of the sexuality conversation, but not the wholeness of it. Um, there's the physical side of this. There's the sex and procreation side of this. You know, um, when we begin to think about it, you know, there's the pleasure side of this as well, where where God, you know, God did this, right? God created the orgasm. God created 300 erogenous zones on our bodies. I was reading uh, one theologian that was talking about that even the way God created the, the pleasure element of, of someone having sex and, and having an orgasm, it's like it's a temporary, like, existential um, like experience that only lasts a few seconds. And it's like this glimpse of like, like a whole out of body uh, like experience, but it's also an awareness that these temporary fixes will never fill what God can. And so um, even in the way all of that design was, was, was supposed to be like, oh, this actually points back to God and that uh, being centered on this doesn't actually uh, do it justice. There's an intimacy level to our sexuality that covers um, the social components, the emotional components, the, you know, again, the, the physical components. And so our sexuality is so complicated. Even when we um, think about what kind of goes into the topic of sexuality, your family of origin, what you grew up with, what you experienced, how you, what your opposite sex parent uh, was like, like all of those things have a deep impact in our sexuality. Your past sexual experiences have a deep impact on your sexuality. Culture does, hormones do, um, different levels of desires, like all these things makes the conversation around sexuality um, so complicated. There's a physical, emotional, intellectual, psychological, even a spiritual side to this conversation with sexuality. And so to try and boil it down to like one theological point or one kind of conversation does a disservice to the conversation as a whole. And that's why it's not working. And that's why people are getting so hurt. And that's why churches are so fractured. And we're missing the point in all of this. Throughout these next two weeks, the heart of um, 
what I want to kind of gather for us is really centered around this. In, in Matthew 22, um, Jesus uh, is speaking to uh, a bunch of folks, and they've asked him some questions, and, and he, he replies to them for like the heart of what his people should be. And he says, to love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, meaning like that's where it all starts. And he says, and the second is like this, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he's like, everything that was taught for hundreds and hundreds of years and generation after generation and generation and, and all the things that you religious folks have kind of trying, been trying to figure out. Jesus says like, listen, you can have those arguments. You can have those disagreements. You can have those different perspectives, but it all comes back to this, to loving God, then loving others. And then within that context, and I'll point this out here in a few minutes, there's an element of how we love ourselves as well. But here's the thing, most conversations around sexuality, um, aren't centered around that. They're centered about who's right, right? Rather than who's loved. And that's why it's so problematic when we get into this conversation. We immediately wanna take this posture of wanting to be right. We want this posture to get our way. Um, we want this posture to, to say, if you don't go 100% all in what I'm saying or what I think, then you're out or I'm out, whatever. And that's typically where this conversation starts. Um, but that's not what Jesus teaches. And, um, and when Jesus teaches our engagement with people, it's like, no, 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 everything starts with the love of God, our love of ourselves, and love of others. Um, Deb Hirsch, who wrote this book called Redeeming Sex that I, I absolutely loved. Um, I actually read it for a second time here uh, over the past couple of weeks. And um, she said this, she said, we must lead with our embrace, not our theology. We must lead with our embrace, not our theology. It goes into this, um, mindset. I'm not saying theology doesn't matter, and, and she's not saying theology doesn't matter. Her book actually goes a lot into theology. Um, but our heart and how we kind of start this is with our embrace, not about, did you read this in, in this part of the Bible and kind of get into that stuff? It's, it's no, it starts with an embrace. If it doesn't start there, then let me just say this. You are outside of what Jesus taught us. You are outside of how Jesus taught us to engage with one another. You are outside with kind of creating the community and the culture that Jesus desires for all of us. We can't love our neighbor if our thinking words or actions dehumanize them in any kind of way. We can't love, uh, honestly love, if we don't truly listen to one another and hear people's stories and um, take all of those things in. We can't love if we are judgmental and condemning to uh, one another. We can't love if we are choosing to be selfish or uh, with our sexual choices or we're okay with like a lack of self-control um, because what ends up happening is if we're okay with that, the reason why it's not loving is because it creates injustices in our world. We can't love if we support things that uh, promote an unbiblical sexuality because it creates, again, it creates unhealthy relationships, it creates unhealthy dynamics, it creates, it creates, honestly, again, more injustices in our world. The second passage that is going to be at the heart of all of this is out of Ephesians 4. It says, Again, this is Paul writing to this church and he's trying to get them on like this is what Christian community looks like. Be completely not partially, completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And, I, and let me pause there because I started thinking about, man, can you imagine in this conversation around sexuality in whatever angle it's being talked about, 
if every person that ever stepped foot in a church community said, you know what they were? They were so humble. They were so gentle. They were so patient with me. Um, They bared like kind of the burden that I was bringing into this. And man, they just allowed this process to to take place. And it took 20 years or it took 40 years or however long it took. But man, this church and this community, like that's what it was about. It says, make every effort to keep unity in the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. And so even when we get into this conversation about sexuality, it's like, if we believe in God and, and we love Jesus and we call ourselves followers of Christ and we believe that he is in all, including our sexuality, he's in that conversation, he's in it. And we can't separate our sexuality from this oneness with God. And, and when I think about the unity um, aspect of this, because there isn't this in the church right now. There isn't. I mean, you might see little pockets of this, but as a whole, there, there isn't unity with people. Unity does not necessarily mean agreement. It doesn't necessarily mean agreement. What the focus is in, in what ends up happening, but is like when the Spirit of God is moving, though, there's this, this incredible desire to get back to the one hope, the one Jesus, the one God, the one faith, the one baptism, the one community, the one peace, the harmony. Like that's when the Spirit of God is moving. If that's not what's happening around this conversation, if that's not what is dedicated to like being uh, engaging with one another, then again, it's not in step with the Spirit of God. And this is why we need to start over. This is why it isn't working. This is why it's so fractured. This woman... Um, Wendy Vanderwell Gritter said this, and, and this is a long quote, but um, I just, I loved it when I read it. It said, the point is not to call for a watered-down discipleship, because whenever we have conversations like this, um, people are like, oh, you're trying to water something down, or you're not, you're not standing for truth, or whatever, and, and I, anyway, I, that, it's like, we got to have better perspectives, which is, the point is not a call for watered-down discipleship. The point is we all need generous spaciousness in our walk with Christ. We all need room to live in the tension of the call to virtue and the longing for happiness. We all need to find safety and grace in our friendships and communities so that we don't have to try to figure this out alone. The truth is different people with different personalities, backgrounds, experiences, and capacities will navigate this paradox differently. The amazing good news of the gospel is that God is rich in grace and lavish in mercy. He knows us by name. He counts the hairs on our head. He knows our weaknesses and our strengths. He knows our frame and that we are dust. And he knows our heart. In him, we are set free from striving, set free from being motivated by fear, guilt, and shame. In him, we can find rest. In this quote, when she talks about the fact that People will come from different personalities, backgrounds, experiences, and capacities. That's what I'm saying around this conversation. Um, All of that stuff matters. All of that stuff plays in. Um, It does for me. It does for you. It does for every single person on the face of this planet. When we begin to discuss some of this stuff, we've got to understand that we're all bringing so many things to this. 
but we're fighting for unity in the spirit. We're fighting for this, this, this kind of community that's not built off of fear and guilt and shame. It's, it's a model that says like, when we engage this conversation within our community here at Hill City, people find rest in it because it's designed to go after Jesus. It's designed to have the spirit of God moving within it. Over the years, um, when I think about how this is like played out um, in my own ministry. And um, I, I was just thinking about all of the conversations um, that I've had. Um, I, my gosh, I, I can't even put a number on it. it it's been so many. And um, thinking about how I sit with couples sometimes who are struggling to have a healthy sex life. Um, it's so fractured in their marriage and um, because of bad theology or bad teaching or bad experiences or, or man, the church they grew up with like really messed up the message on what it should look like in the context of marriage. And we're talking with other people that are just riddled with guilt from past decisions and, and being like ostracized from their church community um, or being sitting with parents um, who have kids that are, are, have gender dysphoria or, or sitting with people that, 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 are, that have gender dysphoria. Um, conversations with people that come and they're like, you know, sat down. I, I remember I was thinking about this one when we were in college ministry. One kid sat down with me and he just said, he said, Wags, I, I don't know how to say this. Um, I'm a, he's a, he was a guy, he's, a, he's like, I'm attracted to other men and, and what do I do with that? And I just rem- remember in that moment, like how nervous he was, his hands were shaking as he was telling me. And, and, and I'm like, oh my, it just like breaks my heart as people are seeing the pain um, that they've had to go through. They were so nervous because he thought if, if he says this to me that I'm gonna throw him out of the group. Um, Think about people in conversations with sex before marriage, stuff around adultery, um, pornography, abuse that has happened to people, um, bad church experiences uh, around this. I've thought about people who I've sat with over the years and, and, you, and you see tears streaming down their face as they talk about the experiences that they've had with other Christians and experiences that they've had in churches and they're sitting there just telling you they, wanna just, they just wanna be loved and they just wanna um, find a place that they can actually follow Jesus with. And, um, Think about the time that I met with people who have uh, had a family member, family member, um, you know, um, take their own life over this, and um, and how just unbelievably heartbreaking uh, that is. Um, I've watched people walk away from community and churches, and um, sometimes eventually Jesus because of what they've experienced from other Christians and and how they've engaged this. I've watched families fracture. I've watched friendships falter, um, the way we are engaging this conversation and this discussion around sexuality in the church is not working. Um, It is not making us stronger. It's not making stronger churches. It's not making us stronger in faith, in love, in connection. It's not making us stronger in dating. It's not making us stronger in marriage. It's not making us stronger in friendships or families. It's not working. And we've got to start over. We've got to be willing to truly start over. And to start over means you got to throw some other stuff away. To start over means I got to be able to come to this conversation and say, all right, God, I want unity in your spirit around this. I want people to know that they are loved. I want, I want to have the heart and the mindset that this is all about loving you, God, and, and loving others. And, and here's the thing that really, you know, there's a lot, of, I should say, there's a lot of stuff that breaks my heart around this conversation. But... Um, I would say 
almost 100% of the time um, in the conversations I've had uh, around this with people, um, they always say something around the, the fact that um, so much hurt and so much pain came from the church they were at. So much hurt and so much pain came from their Christian friends that they talked to. Um, they talk about rejection from the church. They talk about not being safe within it. They talk um, about all the hypocrisies that they've seen. It's like, man, how can they be so judgmental and harsh towards me, yet this church, you know, hid sexual abuse? And you think about um, some of the things that people are seeing within the church right now. And this is why I'm saying this is broken. There is leader after leader after leader that's falling right now because of um you know, adultery or pornography or sending, you know, crude texts uh, to, to volunteer members to, um, to uh, you know, uh, you know, right now, um, Lacey was telling me the other day, she was reading that um, the amount of insurance payouts in the uh, evangelical community um, is, uh, it, it, it's far greater than any other grouping of people around sexual abuse, you know, in terms of some people like, oh, the Catholic Church is so bad. And it's like, no, the insurance payouts around this stuff um, is actually worse than the evangelical um, community. Um, the way that, you know, excuse lust by saying, oh, men are just wired this way. Like we're a bunch of Neanderthals who can't somehow control sexual urges. Um, they demonize people um, because they might deal with some things that like they don't deal with. And that becomes the experience within the church, even in like the hypocrisies of how we handle things. Uh, even recently, some of you guys might know the, the name Ravi Zacharias, who was a guy who like kind of rose to celebrity status and fame within the Christian world because he was a deep thinker about um, all the things related to God. And come to find out, honestly, he was, he was a terrible man. Um, who hurt tons of women. And um, in the way that the general church culture responded was like, well, you know, that was like his thing. Or, you know, well, like I saw some other like kind of prominent preachers being like, this is just like a reminder that like that could have been me. And I'm like, no. Like, Ravi chose that route. Like, again, we are a bunch of people that go, oh my gosh, we can't control our sexual urges, right? Um, and so I, even the way that this stuff gets handled, I mean, I, if, if Ravi were a woman, like, this would have been a whole different story. The way, like, men and women are treated in this conversation is just, it's so, um, it's just so different within church uh, circles. I have a friend who uh, is gay, and um, he was telling me that he's someone who has, committed his life to celibacy. He believes the Bible, um, you know, speaks towards man and woman in marriage and everything, um, but he understands that he's gay. And um, and so his, his orientation is, is towards attracted to, you know, to other males. And he, he, he has like dedicated his life. He finds his whole identity in Christ. He has been willing to uh, lose friends and family members over the fact that he is so committed to following Jesus. And he's like, that is my true identity. I'm aware of the fact that I am gay, but I am, my true identity is in Christ. And I'm dedicating my whole entire life to that. And he sat there as we were talking on the phone and he said, he goes, but John, um, here's the reality. I have no home. Um, with conservative Christians, um, I have no home because they want to kick me out because I mentioned that I'm gay. They don't even want to hear what I have to say. And this is one of the more brilliant people I've ever been around. Um, and, and he goes, and it's crazy to me because I'm sacrificing all of the things that a, a straight person could just kind of flippantly, you know, go ahead and do. And, and I'm willing to do all of that for my passion and love for Christ. And these people are saying, you're not welcome here. 
He goes, but then on the progressive Christianity side, that might say the, the affirming kind of part, or let alone the secular LGBT uh, community, he's like, they're also just as hateful towards me. Um, and sometimes even more so because they think because I hold to a traditional, you know, Christian sexual ethic, um, they don't want me around either. And he, he says to me, he goes, John, where am I supposed to go? And I heard him say that. And I just, I was, my heart was just so broken because I started thinking about, Man, it's crazy to think that what we're trying to do as church is set up all of these walls and set up all these boundaries and set up all these things where the culture that's being established in churches um, all around um, are actually rejecting people. And these people are, are saying, no, I want Jesus. And they're saying, well, you're not welcome here. And so you reject them. And where are you rejecting them to? We're rejecting them to um, more pain and more hurt. We're rejecting them to... Um, a distance from like real community and really a real love. And so I'm like, this is the, why we've got to start over. We've got to start over in this theological conversation. We've got to start over when we start talking about identity. We've got to start over with our stories. We've got to start over with our approach. We've got to start over with our love. We've got to start over with every part of this conversation because people are getting hurt. The church's approach on sexuality has driven people away into a way of life and thinking that brings no freedom. Like, where else do we want people to be? Like, why are we rejecting people? I get the theological debate. I, I do. I get all of that. But why are we setting up cultures that reject one another? Why are we being so ungracious and kind? Listen, I've sat with people, um, been in conversations where part of the room is traditional sexual eth ethic of man and woman. Part of the room um, is, um, you know, they, you know, more affirming uh, theology. And, and I've just watched how ungracious they are to one another in the midst of this conversation while they're both, quote unquote, fighting for Christ, yet they're just fighting one another. I've seen people, you know, come in and say, like, I committed adultery and I'm, and they're just wrecked over it. And I, there's consequences for all of those things. And, and I'm like, man, but how if this person who's so broken and wants Christ and, and wants the redemptive message of Jesus, like how do we like enter into this conversation? And what about the, the wife or what about the husband on the other side of this? Like, what do we do? What about the family? And like all of this stuff. And I'm like, man, we're, we are missing out. We're missing out on seeing healing. We're missing out on real community. We're missing out on love. And we're, we're missing out. And, and the church is worse for it. Here's the thing. When they get driven out, they're, they're driven out to more secular thinking, typically. And listen, there's no, so don't mishear me here. Like, there's no freedom in secular thinking around sexuality either, um, I mean, that's, that, all that stuff just keeps getting worse and worse as well. And so, um, but I, what, I don't, what I don't understand here, honestly, and this is why I want to keep pushing us to this. I don't understand that why we look, um, I've got theo, theo, theological convictions, and I know you do, do too, but I don't understand when we look out and think to ourselves, man, all these people are getting hurt. All these people are in so much pain. We're, we're creating unhealthy relationships, unhealthy marriages, all this stuff. And, and, and I'm like, why are we not willing to take a step back in humility and be like, maybe what we're doing is, is wrong. Maybe what we're doing is off. Maybe the way we're approaching this is, is completely wrong. You know, if the church's teachings and interactions um, aren't centered around grace when it comes to sexuality, 
and it doesn't offer up more freedom and it doesn't offer up more purpose than like, what are we doing around this? Um, from start to finish in the Bible, it's teachings around sexuality were always far outside of what was happening in secular culture, all right? Far outside of it. Like you, you look from start to finish of the Bible, and this is what I'm talking about starting over for everyone. I don't care where you stand on this issue, on this topic right now, but this is what I'm saying. Everyone needs to start over because the Bible is always far outside of what secular culture is talking about when it comes to sexuality. It's revolutionary all the time. It's revolutionary in how people viewed it, and it's transformative to bring people closer to God. So at the heart of this discussion, and this is why I'm saying we got to start over because this isn't happening. At the heart of this discussion, this is what it should mean. But even in all of that, we always see there's an element of love, grace, and respect. And this stuff really breaks my heart. Um, The other day I was just thinking to myself, you know, what if Jesus were here right now? Like, what would this look like? And um, here's what I believe, and you can disagree with it. It's fine. But I believe if Jesus were here right now, um, there would be more people who identify in the LGBTQIA um, community There would be more people around Jesus than less. So why is that not the same in our churches? You might immediately say, well, it's because of this. And 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 listen, I understand the conversation, but I'm saying, why do they not want more of Jesus? Why is that community not want to be around more of like the churches and everything? Because if Jesus were here, I believe that to be true. I think if Jesus were here, there would be like a way higher sexual ethic. Um, we, we can see that in actually Matthew 19 um, when he teaches on it. But it's a, a way higher sexual ethic. And I believe those that would follow him and be around him would be fighting for a really high sexual ethic, like really high when it comes to marriage and sex and dating and all those things, like really celibacy, really, really high, all of that. I think there'd be more holistic teaching around all of this stuff and taking it in, not less. But man, we don't see that. And I'm like, well, why wouldn't, if that's how it would be for Jesus, like why aren't we fighting that for our churches right now? Um, here's the thing, you guys. I, we, there's a reality that we are um, both spiritual and relational beings, right? Um, we have the spiritual element to this where um, that is what trumps everything. I'm going to talk a lot more about this next week, but about our identity. And it's like, man, there's a spiritual component. This is the loving God that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 22. And um, and so we've got to embrace like, all right, we're spiritual beings. Like that's a part of who we are. It's the core. I should say it's a core of, the, of who we are and becomes like the ultimate identity. But even within our that piece, it's like, it's complicated. It's hard, like all that stuff because of the brokenness of sin. But But that is a key component to this. And then we're relational. Like, that's how we were created to be. We're relational. This is the part about, like, the loving others. We have to love God, love others. But when we have the spiritual side, it's this longing for purpose. It's this longing to to be known. It's this longing for an understanding that there's something bigger out there. On the relational side, it's this longing for connection, longing to be known to another person. Um, And within that, sexuality is also placed, right? And the relational side, uh, N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, human relationships are another signpost Post, another signpost pointing away into a mist, telling us that there is a road ahead which leads to, well, which leads somewhere we might want to go. And here's what he's saying. 
that in our relationships, um, because we're relational beings, that uh, every relationship that we have is this longing to be known, but it's pointing to something greater outside of ourselves. It's it's pointing that there's this deep within us is this need and desire for um, connection. And here's the thing, like sexuality, like weaves in and out of all of these things, and it plays a role um, within the midst of it. It's not more than our spirituality or identity in Christ. But I'm just saying that it, it's in there, it's woven in there and impacts it. And so when you begin to think about it, you can kind of see it this way, that we've got God up here and in that is, all right, it's me over here and then others, okay? And in this story, we know that God loves me, right? And so in return, here's what we see, that I love God. And what happens is, is this shapes our identity, or it should, and that becomes the core element for who we are. And then what ends up happening is when that identity is established, then our love of others and how others love us back in unity and community is kind of, it's all centered off of God in the midst of this. And, and the same thing happens over here. So then these this relational aspect over here, if that's headed back towards God, we see that then our relationships and our communities are actually um, mirroring who God is. But here's the problem. You take God out of this at all, and here's what we're left with. Our identity is no longer here. And we just see there's this, we become relational beings, but we're missing the spirituality component in the midst of this. And, and so what ends up happening is if, you, if I just have me and I just have others, then that's why we see like selfishness. That's why we see like w- just doing whatever we want to do. That's why when um, a teaching around celibacy comes like around, we start talking about celibacy and sexuality. It, we're like, oh, that's restricting. Oh, look what I'm giving up. But if you bring God back into it, then all of a sudden it's like, well, hold on a second. Maybe this is about discovering a deeper connection to God and um, because our spirituality and sexuality and relation, uh, relationality are kind of um, woven in all together with our identity in Christ. But you take that out and it becomes so problematic. And that's where I see us right now. That's where I see churches right now. That's where I see the entire Christian community right now. And then what ends up happening in the midst of that, then this conversation, how it gets fleshed out is with anger, with debate, with fear, with shame, with guilt, and all of those things. And we're left wondering, why are, so, why are people so hurt? Why are people ignoring Jesus? Why are people trying to get so far away from everything? Here's why this becomes so critical. The redemptive message of Jesus, then, is what, should, is what fuels our interaction with the conversation of sexuality. Again, this is typically not the starting point in, our, in my conversations with people. But to really be faithful to this connection with God, to really be faithful to how we see scripture, to really be faithful in the most loving and most unifying way, we have to let the redemptive message of Jesus fuel our conversations around sexuality, fuel how we view this. And this is why we have to start over because it's rare that it does. It's rare that we begin to take this and think to ourselves, whoa, what does it mean to actually love others in the right way? What does it mean to actually, um, to really love God in the right way in the midst of this? And, and so that is the only way that we can have the right kind of culture, the right kind of conversations around this. And so because it hasn't started with that, 
and infuse with that first and that mindset first. That's why shame, like some of you watching right now, have so much shame around sexuality. You have so much fear. Um, you have so much guilt. Um, and it's taken hold of your life. Some of you guys have had things done to you um, that were not your fault, not your decision. And, um, and the idea of that being stripped away from you has caused so much pain in this. Um, some of you guys sitting here right now have been so hurt conversationally um, with people. And, um, and it's so, and that stuff breaks my heart because that means that, man, this hasn't started with the redemptive message of Jesus in the midst of this. And so um, I was thinking about when we process this message of Jesus and it goes into salvation, right? And um, we always think of salvation kind of this in eternal mindset, that man, Jesus is coming to redeem everything. And, and that's a true statement. And that's a really big deal. That's why his death and resurrection matters so much. That's why his death and resurrection and our salvation has to be the starting point of the conversation. But I was thinking about this passage in Isaiah. It's out of Isaiah 26 and everything had fallen apart. And this is how I feel about the church. And, um, and this is what I don't want to see happen to us. But everything had been falling apart. And, and watch what um, the prophet Isaiah says is, we have a strong city. Oops. We have a strong city. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. And so here's what it's saying. That the salvation from God becomes the base to which the city should be built off of. It becomes the foundation. It creates the structure. And it says this, open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord himself is the rock eternal. And what ends up happening is this, is that the city that was left in ruins, um, and not the way it was supposed to be. Um, this, I think, becomes a representation of like what the church is right now. It's not what it's supposed to be. But the salvation, and again, starting back over about this redemptive message of Jesus is where the starting point is. That's what builds the foundation. That's what builds the walls. That's what creates the space for those that are, are righteous um, to come in and be those that want to um, follow Christ, those that want to follow, have their lives oriented towards God, like that creates the space. The starting point is our salvation together. And then what ends up happening is through that, um, people are able to see that they can fully trust in this message of Jesus. And so no longer is it shame and guilt and pain and ruins that tell the whole story. It's, oh, let me start with Jesus. Let me rebuild the walls that this salvation begins to do this. Let that speak into this conversation of sexuality. Let that be the core thing that we start with. Let that begin its healing in the midst of this restoring. And then what happens is that we begin to trust in who God is and what it says at the end of this is if you can trust the Lord forever and in that we give praise um one phrase one um translation says praise to the, the rock of ages this is the rock eternal but to the rock of ages that that is where everything goes and so the story that begins to be told in our lives the story that we begin to tell ourselves the story being that people begin to experience is far different than what we see right now because that's what Jesus does we begin to be more unified in how we approach this. It won't be perfect, and yeah, I get it that maybe some groups aren't perfectly right for one another, but there's a unity with how we go approach everything. 
We start seeing that in the same way that Christ died for us when we were sinners, that we begin to look at other people the same way. It's the same message that begins to say that this is how we see people through grace and love first. It's a completely different story. It's a completely different starting point. If we don't want to start here, honestly, then we don't want to build um, a community that Jesus would be proud of. If we don't want to start here, then we'll just be kind of contributing to the horrific culture that's been around sexuality um, for so long now. I I want us to be something different. Um, I want us to see this whole conversation differently and start over again together. Um, I I want us to take communion um, here uh, this morning, and, and I'll pray within the midst of this. And so the reason why I want us to take communion, and we're going to do this together the next two weeks, is because this was, in the early church, this was the unifying moment. People came from different backgrounds and perspectives. People came with different opinions. People came um, somewhat aggressively so. But they would get around the communion elements. They would share a meal together. They would build community together. And they would get around and they would, they would hold the juice and they would hold the bread and they would say, I cannot believe Christ died for us. I cannot believe he rose again. We would dedicate our lives to this. And so in the midst of maybe some different perspectives and everything, they would pass the bread around to one another. They would eat the bread together. They would drink the wine together. And and they would have this moment of like, this is the unity of what we're supposed to be. This is what exemplifies the love of Christ. This is what grace is supposed to look like in community together. And so if you guys have uh, your bread here, um, why don't you take a piece of that? And then we pray over this. God, uh, this morning, there's a lot of brokenness in this conversation. There's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain and there's um, a lot of wondering, could there ever be healing here? And this bread, God, that we have um, here this morning, this this bread is um, an example of in the midst of this, in your brokenness up on that cross, that you identify with our brokenness, but you also speak you're speaking to us in a way that says, I'm with you in the midst of that brokenness, in the midst of that pain, and that there will be healing for you. So go ahead and eat the bread. And then we have this um, juice that's here. and, And we know that this juice represents your blood that was being shed for us for the forgiveness of our sin, for the establishment of and the start of a new community, a new hope, a new um, covenant, and that your promises are being fulfilled. And so, God, I pray that in these unifying moments where there are people all over the place taking communion together, that this is a unifying moment in your spirit to want to start over and to be like, no, this is where we start, right here. Christ's body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us for the forgiveness of all of our sin, so that we too have hope. Go ahead and drink the juice. So God, this morning, um, I just pray there'll be a sweet sense of humility, of conviction, of grace, 
of love. And then every single person that's watching here this morning um, will be running back to you in this and saying, I want to start over. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to deeply and passionately follow you. We do this to you in your name we pray. Amen.